0: Today's scripture reading is found in James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings, dear brothers and sisters. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Mackenzie. Well, we're certainly getting toughened up these days, aren't we? (laughs) Getting ready for winter. I think this might must be the 19th Sunday of Advent or something like that. I'm not sure how to count that. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, really intending, really with all my heart, to do some outside fall work, but uh, it's nice when it's clear that you 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 don't you don't go outside tomorrow or yesterday and do uh, yard work. So I didn't have to feel guilty about that at all. Well, I uh, I happened to come across the old classic called. Pilgrim's Progress. Remember that? You read that? John Bunyan? Bunyan wrote the book uh, while he was in prison in uh, 1678, so it's a long time ago. Uh, He was in prison as a pastor for uh, preaching God's Word, but he wrote one of the classic works of literature in his day, a powerful allegory. And actually, if you're interested, you can go to YouTube and listen to it. Uh, it's, it's quite a journey for a man called Christian who journeys from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And Christian is carrying a heavy burden on his back and he desperately wants to be able to shake it off. Uh, so he is on a journey. But I want to invite you uh, to another journey this morning This is a journey from uncertainty to assurance. This is a a journey from hiding in the shadows to stepping into the light. This is a journey from kind of faking it in your life, just kind of going through it and faking it, to uh, keeping it real in your life. Uh, There's nothing more refreshing to me than to interact with people who are going through very challenging times, one obstacle after another, and yet through it all, they are deeply immersed in what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And they know Christ, and they walk with Christ, and they share Christ. And it's not easy, but they're real. They're, they're keeping it real as they work through what it means for them to follow in the footsteps of Christ. They don't pretend that everything is all right, that everything is just fine, but they know where their strength is, and they're keeping it real. So it's a journey of trust and hope, and that's my prayer as we enter this journey together. And the excursion that I refer to is an expedition through the book of James, the book of James. Now, every book of the Bible is worth reading, of course, and studying, Some books, as you know, uh, tend to be a little more difficult. Those are the books that you have to take out the shovel and you have to, oh, where is the gold? And it takes a little bit of digging to get down and to find it. There are other books in the Bible where the gold is basically lying right on the surface of the ground and it doesn't take very much digging at all. It's just right there. What it does take is another step, and it's called a step of obedience. But the truth is right there, and it's not hidden from us. And so James is going to tell us that he wants us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So James is a book where the gold is on top. It's it's just right there, right through all the five chapters, strewn through these chapters— The gold is on top, and uh, it's readily available. So, Lord willing, uh, we're going to open our Bibles every Sunday to this rich letter and discover anew what God wants to say to us many centuries after this was penned. By the way, uh, just to say this, we have a fun challenge going on uh, with our staff this fall. Some of us, I I think maybe all of us, Uh, are going to try to memorize some parts uh, of the letter of James this fall. Just some parts of the letter. I wish we could say, we're going to memorize the whole book. But no, (laughs) we are keeping it real. Uh, That is far beyond us. Well, that's far beyond me for sure. So here's one lady that's going to memorize along with us 15, 20, 25 verses this fall. So now no pressure, but if there are those of you out there who are challenged by this and who would like to join us and would say, uh, I, I'll do that with you. I see the value of that. Well, you go for it and uh, let, me, let me know and we'll send you the verses uh, week by week so we can stay accountable because I, I think that's the key to stay accountable. So put your name in the friendship book or email me. And if we travel together, I think we'll get further than if we travel alone. So we'll put your name on the memorization list. So let the journey begin. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James or into your phones or wherever it might be, right after the letter to the Hebrews and right before First and Second Peter. And we'll just look at the first verse today. That's as far as we'll get. This letter is from James a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes Jewish believers scattered abroad greetings. Now first of all the context it's always helpful to uh, to uh, understand the context. If you were to read an email that I sent and I had a lot of specific instructions in that email Uh, first of all you would say I I hear all of these details but I don't understand the big picture. What is the big picture? What what were you trying to say? And uh, the reason for the email matches the context of the situation. So there is a very definite context to the letter of James. The church, the early church, very early church was going through a time of suffering. So that's number one. And secondly it was a scattered church. So it was a church that uh, was suffering, and secondly, it was a scattered church. And James says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Now the letter is distinctly Jewish. James was Jewish, and he's writing to fellow Jews uh, we know that from the comment, 12 tribes. They were the descendants of the original 12 tribes. Many generations removed, of course, but that was their heritage. And these were now Jewish Christians, so they were Jews, first of all, and then they were Christians. So two strikes against them. Claudius, the Roman emperor at that time, hated the Jews, and he particularly hated the Christians. So imagine being a Jewish Christian. And the Jewish people hated the Jewish Christians. So, oh, the plight of being a Christian in those days, a Jewish Christian. So these Jews were were driven out of their homeland. Their uh, businesses were boycotted. Their children were mocked and probably kicked out of school. So these Christians had to be nomadic. And uh, you know how hard it is to be without a home, to have to pick up all the time and move on and never feel like you're settled anywhere. You can only handle the pressure so long, and James could tell that some of the people were wearing down, that they were being crushed, and probably some of them were beginning to defect. So James is led of the Holy Spirit to write a letter to address their pain and their suffering this new faith called Christianity was running up against some ferocious opposition. And wherever these early Christians went, they were seemingly pounded by people who resisted them and called them out. So much so that some of the Christians were retreating to a faith only in words but not in deeds. And that kind of makes sense as to what uh, James was saying later they would talk about it a little bit, that they were followers of Christ, but only if they had to. And certainly their deeds didn't kind of testify to the fact that they were followers of Jesus Christ. So uh, they were probably saying, we'll say we're Christians if we need to say it, if we we have to go out on the limb. But we're not going to put ourselves out there. The early Christians were being scared into silence. So God uses a man like James to write a letter to encourage them and to challenge them to keep it real as they walked with the Lord. Now the letter has been incredibly helpful uh, to not only those first century Christians but uh, uh, to us as well because it's so doggedly uh, practical. Remember in our study of Paul uh, in the letter to the Ephesians uh, that we also appreciated uh, the practical part of Paul's teaching. But we always noted that he begins his letter on a theological side uh, because he was indeed a theologian par excellence. But James, James is a little different. He is practical from the moment he hits the ball to the moment he rounds first base, to the moment he goes around second and third and, and back home again. He always is so practical and he lays down the gold. He just lays it down, and, it, and it's all about guidance. It's practical, down-to-earth, authentic advice. And it's so powerful. I mean, if we could just absorb half of what James has to say, it has the power to change our lives and to change our thinking and to change our world perspective and our actions in so many areas of our lives. It really does. So I want you to know that this is not a great theological masterpiece, the book of James. But that's not to lower its value. I mean, because we're all different, right? We see it in our families, among our friends. I mean, some people are just right to the point. you you got something to say, say it. The other person is around and around and around and around. And finally you, you get, okay, what are you going to say? What's the point? And and James always goes right to the point. I think you'll actually really begin to love that about James. He gets centered very quickly. Now, the book has been criticized through the years. Some of the early church fathers were reluctant to include the book in the canon or in the Bible. Martin Luther called it an epistle of straw, which wasn't a nice comment, which uh, was not a favorable comment. He thought it was weak and it shouldn't be included because the name of the Lord Jesus is only mentioned twice. The cross is never mentioned, nor the Holy Spirit. And so you might wonder, what kind of book is that? But Luther was too hard on James because the letter wasn't written for lofty theological explanations. It wasn't intended to be a doctrinal statement. It wasn't even intended to be an apologetic of the faith. James makes the assumption that you know the doctrine, that you've already got that. And as such, he really jumps on all the practical pieces uh, to living out the faith. I mean, he's our kind of guy in many ways. Uh, If you went into Chapters bookstore, you know where you'd go? you'd go to the how-to section right away if you're looking for something from James. Because that's what he does. He he gives you the how-to. And actually, James is always getting at the question, where is the reality of your faith? Where is the reality of your faith? If you say you have faith, then how does that actually play out in your life? If you say you do, then why are you behaving so differently? So James is like the gentleman uh, who had his skeptics. Maybe, maybe we have people like that in our lives too. I, I certainly do. They continually say, prove it to me. If you prove it to me that you've really got the genuine goods, then I'm ready to buy it. But as far as I can see what, what you have on the counter, I don't see sufficient proof. And that's a sobering comment. And it becomes pretty clear what James is driving at through his book. I, my own personal thought is that verse 4 of chapter 1 just kind of sums it all up as what, what James is really trying to do. He wants us to uh, endure. He wants us to come to the place of being complete in the faith, needing nothing. Uh, in other words, he wants us to grow up and he wants us to be mature, more like Jesus. And that would be a great goal for us. That would be a great goal in my own life as we work through these verses uh, in the months ahead. To com- be complete, to be more complete, to be more whole in Jesus Christ. To be more real, to be more open, uh, to be more mature than when I started. So it almost seems to me like the book of James is is kind of inch by inch capturing New territory kind of book. Uh, James is a, uh, is, a, is a book... Actually, there are 54 imperatives in the book of James. 54. Do this. Do this. Now do this. Now do that. Here's what you should do. And he's very direct. Zig Ziglar tells the story of a certain army general who found himself completely surrounded by enemy troops. And he was heard to say uh, to his soldiers, men for the first time... In the history of this military campaign, we are in a position to attack the enemy in all directions. And I guess so. It reminds me of our golf tournament uh, a couple of weeks ago. In our particular foursome, um, four of us guys uh, uh, playing um, Texas Scramble. Couldn't think of that name. Uh, so often our foursome would get that hole surrounded. Uh, but nobody's putting the ball in the hole. You've got to put the ball in the hole. Uh, so uh, you may be feeling these days that, wow, I am surrounded as never before by troubles, by stuff on every side that has come my way. These early first century Christians We're surrounded by trouble. Have there been moments in your life, in your journey, when you felt surrounded by the enemy that threatens to destroy and to sap your spirit and your will to live? It's like, oh, I feel so depleted. That's the context of James. That's why James is writing. A suffering people, a scattered people that's the context. Secondly, the writer. Actually, I find the profile of the writer to be most refreshing. You know, we live in such a political world uh, where we're trying to score as many points as possible. Uh, I mean, it's it's a me world, uh, uh, but here in, is an introduction that is very low-key. It's very refreshing. I mean, What does the verse suggest to you? Verse 1 says, this letter is from James, a slave of God or a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that tell you about James? Well, not very much in terms of who he is, but yet it tells us a lot in terms of his character, his heart. I mean, I guess think what he could have said, but he didn't. Imagine how he could have pumped himself up but he didn't. He didn't say, this is the first book I've ever written and it's going to come off the press and, and I'm so proud to be able to write this to you. None of that. And you'll begin to see this modeling in verse 1 is the way he challenges his readers to live from day to day. That's the heart of the whole book. He sets the tenor as he introduces himself. Now, of course, the greeting doesn't help you very much with the identity of James, who is this james and i won't get into this conversation but there are about five fairly significant options of men that had the name jesus or had the name james and could be considered as the writer of this letter i mean you recognize the names peter james and john those were the three men that were the inner circle for jesus They were all a possibility. They were all uh, apostles. So a possibility could be that this is James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. But the reason it isn't this James is because he was the first of the 12 to suffer martyrdom, if you remember, the brother of John. And that occurred around A.D. 44. The letter of James is written very early in the history of the Christian church, but yet not that early. Who is this James, then? It is the opinion of most conservative scholars that the writer was the half-brother of Jesus. Yes, the half-brother of Jesus. That is the view widely held going way back in time that this is none other than the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, So he knew Jesus very well. He was born and raised in the same family of Jesus of Nazareth. Think of that. Think of how intimately he would have known his brother. And then then he is the one to write the first letter to the church, the first New Testament letter written by this James. Well, first of all, uh, can you imagine growing up in a family where Jesus is your older brother. Can you imagine sitting around the table with Jesus as one of the kids, one of the siblings? Uh, Mary and Joseph uh, had more children after Jesus. Sometimes we hear this idea that Jesus was their only child. No. The Bible talks about other children in the family. We just don't know how many siblings there were. Uh, I had an older brother growing up. I was a bit resentful of him at times because it seemed to me that he got treated extra special just because he was the older brother. Yet my older brother had quite a different perspective. He thought the younger brother got all the perks. So I guess it depends how you see it. And I remember we sat down to talk about this one day, not all that long ago, and we were surprised by our different Perspectives, And they were authentic. He really believed that I got the favors, and I really believe you're the older brother. Dad always catered to you. Mom always catered to you. As kids, uh, very young, we spent a lot of time at the neighbor's uh, as we lived on the farm, two farms close beside each other. And we were supposed to come home at a certain time, but we didn't because uh, we had too much fun playing over at the neighbor's place. And uh, finally, the mom at the neighbor's place said, You better get home because your parents are anxious and they're calling and they're getting upset. So finally we decided to leave and then we saw our dad coming to the neighbor's house to get us. And by the way he was walking, he didn't look very happy. But we were afraid and we hid. Sounds like Adam and Eve, doesn't it? And we hid. We hid in a culvert. You know those little culverts where the water goes through under the road? And we got ourselves squeezed in there. And we waited until we knew Dad and Mom by this time had walked over the road. We waited and we waited and we waited until they walked back. And they went home. And we knew what was happening. But eventually you got to go home as kids. And I guess we didn't really think about it that way. Uh, And uh, Dad was waiting in the laneway. And he was pretty, pretty upset. He sent me to the house. And then I heard him breaking off a branch from a willow tree. And I knew that my older brother was in for it real good. I was happy to be the younger brother that day. But imagine having a brother who did everything just right. He always came when his parents called him. (laughs) He came the first time. He washed his hands before supper. He picked up his socks. Always went to bed when he was supposed to. I mean, that's hard on younger brothers to have a Mr. Perfect in the house. And what was James going to do with this model brother in the house? Well, you'd think he'd learn from him. You would think he would say, I want to be just like him. But instead he rebelled. It's not too strange for us, is it? It must have been kind of strange and bewildering, living in the shadow of a big brother who was actually God in the flesh. Oh, sure, Jesus got his spelling right. Every, every time he, got, he brought it home, and he, it was 100%. So good at Hebrew, even had Aramaic mastered, learning Greek, loves biology, math. Good in every subject. And James must have struggled with that. Maybe he was happy to see Jesus leave home when he did. But then his strange older brother came back to their hometown. And now he was saying that he was the Messiah. Very strange words, kind of embarrassing for the family, for James and and his brothers. And they were kind of mocking him in John chapter 7 when they said, you can't become famous if you hide like this. Uh, Jesus was staying away from Judea. And the brothers mockingly said, If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Look at this verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Oh, and just another verse. Mark chapter 3 verse 21. Crowds of people were following Jesus. They couldn't even find time to eat When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Let's get him out of here before he embarrasses us us even more. So the conclusion that James comes to, along with his family members, was that uh, this brother in the family is mad. He's kind of out of it. He's a nutcase. And and that was what James' thinking was for a long time. Yeah, I have a weird brother in my family. So James didn't have the greatest start with his older brother, Jesus, and he didn't know what to make of him. It was quite confusing to come to this place where Jesus was kind of an embarrassment uh, with all of his claims. But obviously something happened to change that. James changed his thinking about Jesus somewhere along the line. When did he become a follower of his brother? When did things turn around in his mind? He came to the to the place where he had to make a decision and he did. Just like, just like we do. We have to make a decision along the journey what we're going to do with Jesus. Who is he? What does he need in our lives? What does he want in our lives? Are you clear in your mind as to who he is? You you may know what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus. It's a rather famous quote from his book, Mere Christianity. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the, with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patriotizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher." He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to be obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis. Now, can you imagine the wrestling match that James had to fight in his mind before he came to the conclusion about his brother? It probably was immediately after the cross where Jesus died and then he rose again. There's a little old verse tucked away in 1 Corinthians 15:7 that makes this point. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Wow, Jesus after his resurrection made a special visit to James and I assume that it was in that encounter that James embraced his brother in his heart and understood indeed that his brother was the Lord, the risen Messiah, indeed the Christ. But look what happened in that encounter. Things became incredibly Different for James. The Holy Spirit moved the heart of James and he became one of the most significant leaders in the early church in the latter years of his life. Friends, can I just say it boldly? If you've never embraced Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, you're missing the best part of your life. Who knows what is in the plan of God for your life? What does it take? It takes a hearty yes. Lord, I'm in. I do believe. I'm not holding back any longer. I'm totally in. We all have a journey. Some are in more easily than others. Some, some take a long time to kind of sort this all through because of their cynicism and, and skepticism before they meet the real Jesus. Some are in immediately, but don't grow. Some are totally invested in the cause of Christ. And it's everything. If you're in and you haven't declared it, take the kind of steps that give evidence that you are in. I appreciate what Pastor Norb said last Sunday. Take the step of baptism, if you've never taken that. It's a sign of being all in. It means obedience. It's that first step of obedience I'm in, I declare it, I'm willing to say it publicly. James took a huge step. He believed in his brother, he believed in God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he surrendered his life to him. And it became everything for James. James was a late bloomer, but he flowered well. From eating at the same table with Jesus to those turbulent, early years to finally settling down and really putting his faith in Jesus Christ. James uh, was a wonderful servant in the early church. Eusebius wrote that he used to enter the temple and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for the people so that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God. So he was called James Camel Knees. Not a bad tag for any of us, eh? That we'd be found on our knees praying, a man of prayer. Well, as we close, this might be a good moment to say, come with us. Come with us through the book of James. Join a home group. Find community. Be baptized if you've never been baptized. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, this same Jesus that James trusted in, this would be an ideal time to do that. You say, how do I do that? I'm going to put a prayer on the screen this morning, and I'm going to read it with you, but I'm just going to read it. But if you would make this the prayer of your heart, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, this is simply a way to say, Jesus, you want to follow him. You believe he's the son of God. Your life is empty without him. And you know he can forgive your sins and you want him to direct your life. So here's the prayer. I'm going to read it. But you personalize it for you if you've never come this way in your journey to accept Jesus into your life. Lord, I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe he paid the complete payment for my sins and rose again victorious over death in order to grant me his life, eternal life. I acknowledge him alone as the door to the path of life. And today I willingly walk through that door by faith. I invite you, Lord, to be in my life and take control of my life. Now may that be your prayer today if you're finding your way to Jesus. It's important if you pray that prayer and that's the prayer of your heart that that sometime today you tell somebody about that. Uh, maybe come up close at the close of the service and tell one of our staff who are at, at the front of the church here. We always invite people to pray. And so if you would like to have prayer and you'd just like to come and say, that was a prayer that I prayed today, that, that prayer that was on the screen. Write it in the friendship book or email me or one of the staff. Tell somebody that you have stepped over the line uh, of faith and that you are, you're giving your life completely to Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for those who say yes to you today. Whether it comes easy, whether it's a struggle, or whether, Lord, uh, it's just a challenge. Strengthen them, Lord, in their commitment to you. And, Lord, take them from this moment and use them for your glory as they walk with you in the days ahead. Lord, thank you for this uh, awesome writer, James. And thank you for the things that he wants to teach us. May we be open and uh, faithful to you as we journey with you as well. We pray in Jesus' name.